2: Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Kramer and David Faber. Got some real push and pull this morning. Futures off the lows as markets digest the press conference. Supply chain inflation warnings from Tesla, McDonald's, Teradyne and others. Q4 GDP, a healthy 6.9, but a lot of that is inventories. Our roadmap begins with the return to fundamentals. A slew of corporate Uh, earnings and a flood of data crossing the tape. Futures point to gains at the open. Plus,
1: returning to profitability, Southwest Airlines posting its first positive quarter of the pandemic. Outgoing CEO Gary Kelly is going to join us in a first on CNBC interview. And Tesla's going all in on self-driving. CEO Elon Musk calling it, quote, nutty good
2: from a financial standpoint. We're going to start with Tesla. Elon Musk outlining some of those supply chain challenges on the company's earnings call.
3: 2022 supply chain will continue to be the fundamental limiter of output across all factories um, so the uh, the chip shortage while better than last year is still still uh, an issue
2: uh, that is the picture of the morning jim whether it's uh, the economics at restaurants at mcdonald's or the car business well
4: i was struck i mean i, I really kind of want to urge people to, to listen to his to his call because he's a lot more thoughtful on these conference calls than he was at one point, just because he used to have so much fun. But I mean, he's really just talking about, look, I want to produce the most cars possible. In order to do that, I can't introduce new cars that will make it so that or trucks that'll that'll make it so that they can't produce as much as they want. And that the real focus is is self driving and stop worrying about these other things. We'll be able to figure it out. And David, one of the things that I absolutely love is, is that he has a narrative now. It's kind of like Andy Grove in the old days when just wanted on tell, Here's the narrative, and if you want to deviate from the narrative, I'm not really interested in talking to you. Do You caught that one moment when Tony Saganegi asked a question from Bernstein. Oh, your favorite album. Yeah, albums. and he basically just says, look, that, that's, are you listening? That's not what I'm talking about.
1: Well, Mr. Musk doesn't suffer fools gladly. Never, never has. has never but has. Don't you like that? Uh, well, yeah, you can have that kind of an attitude when you have the kind of success that he's been able to have. Well, he's the only one that has that level of success. He's a remarkable man um he's remarkable he i i know he's forever changed your thoughts of him as yes. a result of your meeting him late last year or whenever that was well i mean
4: imagine. i just think that uh, when he he's talking about the idea that if you want to know how to control inflation you do self-driving stars now you know who else feels that way and they're not really aligned is jensen wong you Nobody know, we talked to service now talk to bill McDermott later. but this is these guys think it's the future but of course carl one accident and people think it's well, not the but future.
1: But there also is a, a level of criticism of f- saying that they're not ready for fully autonomous at Tesla and any and selling anything along those lines that says you can just sit in the back seat. Right. Don't do that.
4: No, but, uh, at all.
1: That it is nowhere near ready for prime time. But,
4: but I guess what I'm saying is, is that if you're selling the stock here, what you're selling is the idea that he can't get the chips that he wants right now, and that that is a constant theme. Carl, there isn't anyone who's getting the chips. No one. Ford, GM's not getting the chips. You know, Anyone who needs well, chips. You told, us this was be, you
1: told us this was going to be kind of getting better by now.
4: The demand? go. Okay, so that's a good the point. The chip look, thing. Look. I mean, I All remember right, well, you telling well, what, me it was going to get can better. Can I finish? Lamb Research, Tim Archer, who well, I think it, I was being nice. I didn't mean to say it like that. I, I Tim know, Archer I, from It sounded Lamb like Research. a conversation okay. at the dinner table.
1: Yes. Yeah. Tim, 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 Archer amongst from- the loving family that occasionally will, you know, have a little you spat. To Let me talk. When is he let me talk. <laughs> go ahead and finish your thoughts. Thank
4: you. OK, it was, unless it's Jeopardy, yeah, I can't talk. <laughs> um, OK, so you have to go listen to Tim Archer, who's really fabulous. He runs uh, Lamb Research. Yes. And in it, he talks about how there were some crucial parts that made it Watch well, one crucial part that made it so he couldn't deliver all the uh, machines that make it so that, that someone can produce a lot of chips. Mm-hmm. So the supply chain problems has now actually reached this level where you can't get the machines to make the chips, David. So if you read what Lamb says, you realize, wow, I mean, even when they open this new Malaysian factory, and they're opening factories everywhere, what happens is, is that if you're counting on machines to make chips, they're not making enough. And so that's where, you know, it's all the way upstream now that the problem is. So you may think it's going to ease, and then Tim Archer, whom I've trusted the whole way, says, sorry. We couldn't make all we want, but now what happens is a new theme and call. This is what's the most worrisome theme. People are melding. The analysts are melding what what Powell said with the information, and what they're saying is, you know, by the time Lamb research gets all its machines, and then you make all your chips, we will have an inventory recession because Jay Powell will have raised six times. Now, that is literally what people who make semiconductors listen to on their conference call. And, And it's, you know, you're Tim Archer, and everybody comes over and says, listen, I miss the beginning of the call, I've been on another call. But don't you think there's going to be big overhanging machines? And then the next guy comes over and says, you know what? I'm really sorry. I missed the last call. No one's even listening to the call. They've all made up their minds that we're going to have too many chips by Q4.
2: So do you remember a uh, couple summers ago where we couldn't get gym equipment? Yes. It's called the bullwhip effect. Yes. There's double ordering. Those double orders get canceled. That's There'll what- be a time, Jim, where there's going to be plenty of chips.
4: See. I would say that the smartest people I deal with say that's happening in Q4 and that by the time that and we'll be, you'll be talking to Pat Gelsinger, by the time Pat Gelsinger actually is able to make what he needs to make, we don't need it. Now, is that necessarily the case? I don't know. I mean, we double order it. Yeah, everyone's I would double order if I were in a position right. needing chips.
1: Obviously, there's Intel, uh, which reported its fourth quarter. By the same. way, it was it's a great quarter. President Everything's man.
4: great. It's great. It's great. It's great. And by the way, it's great. It's and we're building everything. and We're king. Loaded, there. And you don't need
1: to listen. Okay. we don't need to listen, you don't need me to read it. Sometimes, by the way, we forget about Samsung, which is now the largest semiconductor manufacturing company by revenues in the world. Extraordinary. Uh, And an enormous part of the South Korean uh, um, economy, uh, which also reported earnings that were record. Right. But I mean,
4: you know, Carl's right. I mean, these analysts have all seen it time and again which is that when you finally get all your chips, it's too late. Now, so the question is, will that be like the inventory correction that a really good company like Micron had, where they finally reached the production then the equilibrium and it tips? But it only lasted a very short period of time because the secular changes in the economy are such that we're not going to have up and down and up and down. Hence why I think the hero of the hour is Lisa Sue. Because Lisa Sue at AMD has now diversified to something that's away from the fray. She's no longer in the Gelsinger treadmill. She's now got cell phones. She now has defense
1: because the closing of the Xilinx deal, which you haven't even mentioned yet. I haven't is, mentioned it yet. No. I mean, it China is 9.06. I know. China has come through. There was an expectation it would be perhaps as soon as Monday. It got here even faster. What do you make of it? Um... I think it's an important moment for AMD because they will be able to close this transaction very quickly. Right. And I think that when you get a company that is stuck in the crosshairs of Pat
4: Gelsinger, even though he's failing badly to catch her and he's losing share, that's not his narrative. His narrative is he's gaining share. Now, I think you have to hold this guy's feet to the fire. Honestly, this is a bad quarter. It was a bad quarter. They're spending a fortune to catch up with Lisa Su. Meanwhile, Lisa Su is on her roadmap of a series of fantastic Italian cities. I keep trying to get the Florence chip. And now he's got Xilinx. She's got Xilinx. And Xilinx is a great company that's been under managed. And she can come out and just smash the numbers.
2: Uh, Meantime, cloud service at Intel down five. Got a lot of attention. Where's all the PC strength that we thought, or that Microsoft at least saw in their print?
4: Well, the high-end notebooks are still good the low-end notebooks are not good. Uh, the amount of, uh, of money that he has to spend to try to keep up with Lisa and with NVIDIA uh, is ruining their gross margins. Now, during that great heyday of the Andy Grove-Barrett uh, period, you're trying to shoot for 63-64 gross margin. Now, I don't want to get too nitty-gritty, but they're like in the 53-54. And I don't know how they can get off this because they fell far behind. Now, Pat did not fall far behind. It was the predecessors. So I think it's very difficult to come on strong to Pat because he didn't do anything. The previous people were like J.P. Morgan. Let's cut, let's cut, let's cut. And now you're suddenly, David, in a position where AMD's been spending like mad, NVIDIA's been spending like mad, and they're well ahead. You needed to do that to keep up with demand of Amazon Web Services and of Alphabet and, of course, of
1: Azure. Without a doubt. That is one of the key considerations, right? the incredible growth of the cloud over the last, let's call it five years. Right. And that's over and over again. We'll hear that All on the ServiceNow interview. Yes. Um, I don't want to be too focused
4: on the cloud, but obviously last night was a semi-night and semi dr cap equipment. on has a call going on right now, but very important people bail on that. But uh, you know, look, there's two ways to look at this market. We can focus on what the Fed says, or we can deal, I'm going to throw this right in, in David's wheelhouse. Or we can focus on a company like Michael Nydor from Centene, selling at 14 times earnings.
1: Cigna allegedly interested in yeah, it. Yeah, there was a report that Cigna, they had preliminary discussions of some kind. I know nothing about whether Centene well, and Cigna will ever actually... Well, let's back up, though. Michael, You're just talking uh, broadly about M&A or what? Yeah, well, yes, Michael's an older gentleman. He comes yes. on the show all the time. Yes. He has this fantastic
4: Medicare business. He's the guy who's actually figured out how to do Obamacare in a very responsible way. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, is that, you know, do you think that anyone who buys Uh, Michael Nydors, unbelievable company, is thinking, well, wait a second, we could get five hikes?
1: I don't think they're thinking about it. I don't know. They're not thinking about it. No. Uh, If you are a TMT guy and you're buying a 30, 40, 50 multiple to revenue stock, you are thinking about it. Exactly. And by the way, you're probably thinking maybe it's not coming back. Maybe I got to start to focus on those names that are 30 to 40 times earnings. As opposed right. to thirty to forty times revenue, oh, even those don't necessarily work. I, then, they may not. I think um, that if it's you, off, it's interesting though how often lately Google's coming into the conversation now. It's the same multiple as it was pre-COVID. Right. There are those people who, in addition to Bill Ackman, want to own Netflix now because they think it was overdone last Friday in terms of the decline there, and that at some point it should trade even at just tw- It's it's yeah. it's having that transition from growth to earnings, I, I uh, and that can be somewhat bumpy. So you know there are always opportunities, Jim. But the idea that some of these higher multiple companies—you've and you've been saying this well, well, uh, let's with very little earnings, and therefore, you know. But a snowflake falls into that, and I know you're a mixed Most snowflake is because Slootman has a But is it ever going to really trade at 80 times revenues again?
4: No, no. But let me because he'll be making a lot of money. But let me just All give right. you. Let's be empirical rather than being anecdotal. All right. So there are 650 new companies that have started since the beginning of last year. Uh, they are now down as of last night. The vast majority, 67 percent of them, are below the offer price. 37 percent are 50 percent below their offer price. 50 percent—that's 50. Now, SPACs. Let's talk those. Um, 86 of the 205 former SPACs are trading below 10. 85 of those, are, or or 41.5 percent, are actually uh, trading at around. Five. Yes, you can
1: look at our great SPAC index. Well, that's this the is where. The greatest thing to come out of the whole SPAC thing this was is, our indexes. This is
4: where you're really in trouble if you own these stocks. Yes. I mean, we're trying to find. I found 61 names that are down 10%. So 10% of them are kind of interesting. i like give is. those names That's tonight. the only one that's
1: actually above well, the But this is the
4: where real money. Now, David. What? Did what? Your, I got to get to Did your contest. parents ever drink Cuddy Sark like my dad Not aware Cuddy that Sark? they did, no. Okay, well, there's a thing called Sark. Yes. Which is an ETF that yes. you use to bet against oh, cash. It's a short. Wood. It's a short. Yeah, and yes. it, it, it's going. It went from thirty-five to forty-nine. My parents switched from Cuddy to to a J and B at one point. That's horrible. But uh, horrible.
1: Cuddy no, start. we're no, we're looking at this. Oh. Look at that. No, Look at that. Well, that's after you've done the deal and it's closed. You're right, trading right. at sixty percent of where you well, were if you just got out of. 10. Well, that's
4: why I've been. That's, uh, that's why I've been on the warpath against I'm, you. you you've credit? been on the warpath for now. You're right. I
1: there's no original thinking, Carl. He had None. it before I did. Guys, we, we do need to talk Comcast, our parent company, because okay. the stock is going to look down again. It's not been a great year. The stock is flat, let's call it, for the last 12 months. But on the call uh, moments ago, the company did indicate that it's going to be spending even more money on streaming service Peacock than perhaps had been anticipated, and as well... Not getting to break even at Peacock as soon as perhaps some had thought. This, of course, goes back to direct to consumer. Remember, there's dual ad, there's dual streams here. It's an ad supported and uh, and a premium service as well. You've seen that in a number of these different offer uh, is- uh, direct to consumer offerings. Mm-hmm. Peacock generated revenue of about 800 million, an EBITDA loss of 1.7 billion. That includes a content spend of over 1.5 billion. EVEN WITH THE RELATIVELY LIMITED PROGRAMMING SLATE, AND I'M READING FROM THE CALL HERE, WE'VE ACHIEVED A LEVEL OF SUCCESS IN PAID SUBS AND ENGAGEMENTS THAT'S DRIVING OUR DECISION TO DOUBLE OUR CONTENT SPEND IN Peacock IN 2022 TO OVER $3 BILLION, WITH THE GOAL OF RAMPING DOMESTIC CONTENT TO SPEND $5 BILLION OVER THE NEXT COUPLE OF YEARS, SOME OF WHICH WILL BE INCREMENTAL. Uh, IT GOES ON TO SAY, THEREFORE, IT WILL LIKELY RESULT IN an EBITDA LOSS OF ROUGHLY $2.5 BILLION FOR 2022. YES. Content is expensive. Streaming is expensive. We've seen it time and again with these companies that have made it the centerpiece of their strategy. It's not a Comcast where we haven't even mentioned broadband subs, but that's that's going to commercial with that. I know. How can we go into commercial with that? I don't know. Jeez. Uh, But that is why that stock turned down. At some point, we're going to get people questioning questioning the viability of this business from a profit perspective longer term and wondering whether in fact some of these companies are pursuing the right strategy after Netflix, after Disney, which clearly are the the market leaders. Is this really the right thing to do? Let's leave Amazon and Apple out of it because they have unlimited amounts of money to pursue it. Wow, okay. Probably had to go. That really depressed you, didn't it? Well, I mean, I kind of work for Comcast. You seem sad. Oh, you probably took a lot of Comcast. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, it's okay, Boogie. It's okay. It's, you got, they, they need the content, Jim. Give That's it time. You give. You give, give it time.
1: Content. Don't you worry. Don't you worry Uncle Brian's going to deliver for
2: us. Take it on Meantime, a big morning on tap, including interviews with uh, Southwest Airlines and ServiceNow. A uh, bunch of earnings I got to get to, including McDonald's, uh, Southwest, MasterCard, Levi, there's some news on Boeing, as well as some calls on home builders and uh, Snow and Amazon and Google. Mm-hmm. Be right back.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Right now, I want you to take a look at the shares of Now, that's ServiceNow, jumping after posting an upbeat quarterly results, upbeat being quite an understatement. Joining us now is the company CEO, Bill McDermott. Bill, it is always a delight to have you on
3: our show. Thank you very much, Jim. Great to be with you.
4: So, Bill, you're going to be the bit of the test case of this particular moment. Uh, As I listened to the conference call last night, I was very aware that every single analyst congratulated you. The numbers are up very big. You're clearly changing the way people are dealing with inflation at the workplace. You're a deflationary person because you're doing such a good job. What is your contrast between how you're really doing and what you hear us talk about with the Federal Reserve?
3: Well, if you look at digital transformation, Jim, this is the biggest opportunity of our lifetime. It's a $10.7 trillion market between now and 2025. And ServiceNow has positioned itself as the control tower for digital transformation and well-run companies. So what is happening with rising interest rates is obviously not impacting ServiceNow. We have $5 billion in cash. We're growing organically. We build all our own innovations. So we don't need to access the credit markets. I talked to a CEO. I talked to him every day. But one last week told me something that I thought hit it right on the head. You know, he said, I have a long list of priorities. Technology isn't one of them. It runs through all of them. So we're in a very, very privileged position, Jim.
4: Well, I think that for viewers who aren't familiar with your incredible work, it might help to be able to talk about a company that's really gripped with inflation but wants to keep costs down while at the same time keep customer service up. And that would be Delta Airlines. I think you can speak to what you're doing for them.
3: Yeah, you know, Ed Bastian is a great CEO, as you know, Jim. And Delta is a perfect example of leadership that understands the world is in a war for talent. We have to give employees great experiences because you have to retain the ones you have and drive productivity. That's that deflationary force you're talking about, doing more with each person. And we give his organization one service center, one portal, where every employee can access all the services they need to do their job. So for a company, you can recruit, hire, onboard, train, and manage all the services of an employee. But from an employee's perspective, I have everything I need on my mobile phone to get my work done, to get trained, to come back to the office safely, and it's all done on ServiceNow. And of course, you know, we do this with Jensen and NVIDIA and many others around the world.
1: Right. Hey, Bill, it's David. Um, you know, there's been a theme in your world that there was a great deal of pull forward in terms of demand. Uh, as a result of the pandemic these numbers clearly perhaps show otherwise but i'm wondering if you could uh, give us your insight on that and what you're hearing from other ceos the likes of which you just mentioned as well whether this theme is for real or whether it's perhaps a bit imagined
3: yeah david this theme is not only for real it's here to stay you know one of the the statistics to back that up a little bit well-run software companies operate on a rule of 40. you know 20% growth 20% free cash flow ServiceNow is in a league of our own because we're operating at a rule of 60-plus, more than 30% revenue growth, more than 30% free cash flow. So it's representative of a leadership platform really focused on digital transformation that's now hitting the scale status with major corporations around the world. Um, But every CEO needs to focus on digital transformation. You know, 30 years ago, there was 20 companies, on the list of the world's most valuable there's not a single one of those 20 on the list today so you have to get digitally transformed you have to do it really fast and that's the speed advantage that ServiceNow brings in terms of our revenues everything came in in a perfectly linear fashion going into the year we guide on two dimensions one we guide on the 2022 first quarter which is accelerating so obviously no pull forward And we guide on the full year, which was robust and beyond the analyst expectations, which is why all the research reports have uh, ServiceNow going through the roof. Um, So we're in great shape. Our customers need digital transformation. Believe me, the executives running companies around the world aren't uh, sitting on their hands waiting for the Fed interest rate decision. They're running their businesses. They're satisfying their employees. They're serving their customers. And they need ServiceNow.
4: Uh, well, look, Bill, it's great to have you on. You're absolutely right. People read right through the call. You, it's very critical analysts who are just incredibly excited about you. I would say, Bill, maybe you are playing chess, and the other guys seem to be playing checkers.
3: <laughs> well, thank you very much, uh, Jim. Thank you, David. We're very honored, and I thank all the customers out there for their belief in service now. We're working for you. Well,
4: the numbers say that, they, that that's true. Bill McDermott, thank you so much for coming on the show.
3: Good to see you. Thank you, Jim.
2: Still to come this morning, Southwest swinging to its first adjusted quarterly profit in a couple of years. We're going to talk to Gary Kelly one last time, passing the torch to Robert Jordan as of next week. uh, Futures continue to turn around from the overnight lows as we get this Thursday session underway. Don't go away.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
2: Market continues to react to the Fed presser and the slew of earnings that we've gotten, along with some macro. If you missed it, uh, GDP up 6.9, about uh, two-thirds of that was inventory consumption up 3.3 versus a prior two. Uh, We're going to talk about how all this folds into the markets, and we'll talk to Southwest Gary Kelly as a number of airlines print today. Squawk on the streets back in a moment.
1: All right, we're going to squeeze in a very tight mad dash before we get to an opening bell here. Uh, energy. Yeah, I want to do a little um, kind of counter to the last thing about
4: Comcast. Yes. Uh, just a positive here. Uh, last night, Chevron. Look at that which chart. Report, which Look at report, that chart. They report
1: tomorrow.
4: Tomorrow. They increased their dividends 6%. Now, you're getting, if you include the buyback, you're getting about 5% here, but 4.5. And why I mention this is because if you're sitting here worrying about J-PAL, you want to take action, this company's going to report tomorrow. Mike Worth, the really terrific CEO, is going to give you an
1: amazing number. So, I mean, let's not outthink it. This is a Chevron market. It is. You know, it's funny. I had a conversation this morning with a big growth manager, a lot of TMT previously. You know what he was buying? lumberja Schlumberger. Yeah, slumberja is going to have a good the spending cycle for
4: international is just beginning Halliburton already had good double-digit numbers throughout the world so Carl I mean if your people are confused oil is it going to be it's going to get up to about 12 15 percent of the P.
2: Uh, we do have uh, crude above 88 this morning, highest since uh, since 2014. God. Our Bob Gasoline futures, by the way, above the November peak. Remember when we were going crazy over the cost of gas? We're, we're yes. going to get back there in the days Na- to
4: come. Natural up. gas not keeping up. Europe's much higher than we are. The spread there is going to help Dow Chemical, the natural gas come down. But look, we're in a situation where if you fill up at the pump, just go buy the stock of the company you're filling up.
2: By the way, you mentioned some of the capital returns. It's not just Chevron and Halliburton this week. Uh, Uh, Murphy Oil, uh, Jacobs, Mm -hmm. uh, Tractor Supply, 77% div hike. Now,
4: I thought that the interview this morning with Tractor Supply, which is a company I like, although I think that Carhartt stuff is really overpriced, frankly, uh, they just had a great, great number, and the stock is reacting to it. David, when you go uh, and do remote work, one of the things you might want to do is— Get things, go around the house and fix things up and maybe get a little craft oriented. Mm-hmm. And you go to Tractor Supply because that's who's there. They also have vets at Tractor Supply. So when you, um, I don't know, like I'm, there's last chance ranch here. I'm picking up some animals. Yeah. Well, how about the Lowe's Petco partnership? Now? I thought that was significant. Yeah. People have to understand, pets are more than just dogs and cats now. What else are they? Uh, well, uh, goats, which are very I've smart. Stock, goats, yeah. yeah. By the cows way, pig, cows, pigs no. know more than, do you know that pigs know 353 words? No, pigs are very smart, yeah. I know. They're smarter than the average bear. And the average dog, for sure. Yeah, dogs can be dumb as wood, like bragu, the new dog I have. As dumb as wood, he's, you know, last night it was freezing cold. He sits out there, he's shivering. Does he do anything about it? No, he just shivers. I mean, at least you should bark or something. So, David, all this green.
1: There's a lot of green on that board. So then is, you want uh, to go back to what's to depressing you. Uh, well, Comcast shares are depressing. Uh, a lot of people who might own them down 5% and even more than that, of course, the parent of our network uh, year over year is down, is vastly underperformed uh, the S&P and to a certain extent, even the broader sector. Now, it's not about broadband ads. Uh, you know, I think the market in many ways was prepared for a slowdown there. Obviously you saw a big uptick during the pandemic in people who are adding broadband, but uh, it seems to go more towards perhaps what they shared on the call a little while ago, which is increased spending on the streaming service Peacock yeah. you know, and it getting to break even perhaps a bit later than people had well, just and, seems or investors had originally been led to believe by the company. It, it goes to the larger, uh, questions of just how much is being spent by all of these companies that have made direct to consumer so important for them. Now, remember, this is a part of NBC Universal, which is a part of Comcast, which still is really led by broadband, right. but it is not an unimportant part when you're spending $2.5 billion a year. No, and I think it's important because what's been another theme of this earnings period is
4: Netflix. I mean, we have too many things to do and not enough time. David, can you please explain to me why Activision Blizzard is trading?
1: ATVI? Yes. Uh, is, let me just see where it is now. That's all antitrust.
4: Oh, it is? Yeah. Well, what, 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 yeah. What are they trying to protect us from? Concentration I don't know. of gaming? I, I can't tell you. The, well, the, well, there is an, an enormous spread it's there. There's plenty of that.
1: competition for yeah, our yeah, time. If that's what they're trying to protect us from, we have real problems. This I time. see, you connected it right to time. But uh, 95 bucks a share in cash, just to remind people, it's not that long ago the deal was announced, and this is an enormous spread that reflective of how long it may take for it to close and whether or not it will, because there does seem to be a belief that it will be challenged, even though, to your point, it's not clear exactly what part of the law they're going to rely on. Well, if, if it's going to be challenged, then anything can
4: be challenged. And I think that's... But they can't challenge something like a know if, if private equity
2: people get involved. By the way... Well, private uh, equity have a leg up here? The streaming budget's uh, clearly not scaring away Ackman. Uh, Three million shares makes him a top 20 holder in Netflix now. As he said last night, uh, I'm all in on streaming. And that's one of the S and P leaders today.
4: Well, I hope he enjoys the productions. They've got some good things.
1: Yeah. All right. He's done okay. Yeah, he kind of when he hasn't big done, big, done okay, I like and he's done okay.
4: HBO too. I, mean, I like all. Of them.
1: You like all of them. I do. I really like Paramount Plus. That's Speaking of watching. HBO, yesterday's action mm. in AT and T was somewhat surprising was a to disaster. people. It was disastrous. By the way, the stock is down another two percent. And it's worth going over quickly, sort of a a number. Were you in the call? It did not sound as a number of cross currents here. Some of it related to some things that John, thank the CEO said to me in terms of uh, whether or not they're going to pursue a split or a spin of of the Warner Media assets. That was horrible, right then. Uh, That put a lot of pressure on Discovery, but also um, on the call. You know, uh, there was some questions about the quality of cash flow. There was four billion of vendor financing Mm. they mentioned. Um, and so there were questions fundamentally in terms of the quality of the earnings. Also, churn may have been up a little bit more than had been anticipated, even though their postpaid net ads were quite strong. Um, and then you as well add on to that this likelihood it would seem, based on Mr. Stenke's comments, that they are going to pursue a spin it gets somewhat complex rather than an exchange offer. But simply put, if they were to have pursued an exchange offer, they could buy back as much as, although this was not necessarily fully believed, 25% of 18 t shares. Now, you'd have to do that at a discount, but you'd essentially be giving people discovery at a price they wanted, taking their 18 t shares in return, retiring those shares, and therefore that $9 billion that they've said, or $8 to $9 billion for the dividend for this year, would be divided over a much smaller share base, hence have a larger yield. When that doesn't come into mm-hmm. play, people sell AT and T. They also sell it because of their concern about the quality of the corners, the quarter's cash flow, and people sell Discovery or short Discovery as well, setting up for a spin. So well, it, there was wow, some, what a decline there because well, the, it had
4: been one of the outperformers this year. I know, but the moment on the call where he starts talking about the spin versus he says, "Listen, I'm leaving it to the board," but then he basically says, "Listen, we do a spin." Well,
1: he said it to me. You heard it, yeah?
4: Well, yeah. no, I'm just saying that people didn't seem to understand the gravity of it when you said it on right, the show. Right. And then they hear it on the call, and they're reacting. If they had listened to you, they would have sold it while it was still up, for heaven's sake. So David Faber, one, analyst, zero. Anyway, we got go to go to—you want some love? Yeah, sure. Give okay. me some love. Southwest Airlines reporting its first quarterly profit of the pandemic. That's civil LUV, which was the silly joke I made. But the airline says the COVID pandemic, inflation, and staffing challenges remain— I don't care. This is our last time with Gary Kelly. I'm not going to leave it on that note. That's ridiculous. This man has really done a fabulous job. Uh, this is a position he has held for the last 18 years. I'm proud to actually associate with Gary Kelly and know him this is going to be terrific. He's not going anywhere. I'm going to transition to the role of executive chairman next week. Gary, look, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to use a word that people aren't giving you enough of. Congratulations on doing an incredible quarter in the face of, what, 5,000 employees that have Omicron?
5: Well, thanks, Jim. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, it was a great quarter, and it's it's just been a roller coaster, and, you know, our demand uh, and our operating challenges definitely follow the COVID surges, but uh, we had a a very solid profit. Our folks did a great job, operated spectacularly through the holiday time period, and, uh, you know, the Omicron finally caught up with us in early January, but, uh, you know, we'll have a soft January and February, but March bookings look strong right now, so. um, I'm very proud of our people, very proud of the fact that we turned a uh, a, a profit. We're looking forward to a profitable 2022.
4: Well, one time you infamously said on our show that I was very excited and said, look, it looks like you're flying everywhere. And you said, yeah, but there's really no place to go. Uh, And when they open it, well, I think that is a reopening play, Gary. You're still number one. When you have destinations, you use Southwest.
5: Oh, Jim, we've got uh, a great route network. Uh, we've got great people. We have great airplanes, uh, wonderful destinations, and we have low fares, you know, so it's it's a wonderful combination. And I would also point out in the fourth quarter um, you know, we had very strong traffic. We had very strong yields, uh, and that's with minimal uh, business travel. Our, our business travel is still down about 50 percent, so uh, there's a lot to be excited about with Southwest and uh, I'm really looking forward to 2022. Looking forward to getting All this right. pandemic behind us for sure. Of course.
4: Now, I know David's going to ask about business travel, but I thought it was interesting how granular you were. You say over the last two weeks, we have returned to solid operational performance like we experienced over the holdings, uh, holidays and fourth quarter 2021. Two weeks, Gary? I mean, isn't that why? why bother to mention 14 days?
5: Well, because it was a mess uh, in early January. We had uh, the, the toughest winter uh, operating challenges that we've seen probably in the last, I don't know, five to ten years. So we had a lot of cancellations because of that. Then we had a lot of absenteeism because of Omicron. And it was just rough. It was rough for our people. It was rough for our customers. And, the, and we just wanted ever to share with everybody that that seems to be behind us. Uh, the COVID counts are way down within the company. It's pretty much tracked uh, trend-wise uh, the, the whole country. And uh, right now the uh, operation is running very smoothly and you know, fingers crossed that we don't have a, you know, a continuing or another surge here in, uh, in COVID.
1: Yeah, we all hope not. Uh, Perhaps not enough yet to get people back into their offices. And that leads to the question that Jim told you I would ask, which is, will they get back on planes to go see clients and or even see each other? Uh, What are your expectations now, given the limited visibility that you've had for quite some time, Gary, into actual rebound in business travel?
5: You know, we've got booking information and then we talk to real people. You know, so we've got both inputs. Uh, As I mentioned, we're about 50 percent uh, uh, recovered from where we were uh, pre-pandemic. I would hope that by the time we get to the end of this year that we're down uh, modestly, maybe 10%, maybe 20%. It's, it's a guess. But based on talking with our corporate customers, I think sort of a uh, post-President's Day weekend, they're anxious to get back. They're anxious to get back on the road, see their customers, uh, see their suppliers and what have you, and have events, have meetings, Uh, go to conventions. So I think it will definitely recover from here. How fast it recovers is anybody's guess, but that's my best guess.
2: Gary, you're looking for profitability in the remaining quarters of the year and for the full year, but others will respond. You know, Delta was a surprise. Omicron came out of nowhere. I mean, how do you give forecasts of that duration, uh, given the uncertainty, even with uh, this new era of, say, antivirals?
5: You know, it's been 45 years since I graduated from college and I've made a career out of uh, (laughs) with finance, uh, you know, making forecasts. And I've admitted, you know, during the pandemic that it's just not an environment that you can forecast. So I admit that Uh, all we can do is set some plans based on some assumptions and then do our darndest to execute. The one thing that we must do uh, is we must continue to hire and get all of our airplanes back in the air uh and then get the airplanes that we are flying get them back to our pre-pandemic productivity so we've got a good plan for that the demand seems very healthy uh it's going to be uh it'll have peaks and valleys but again you look back at the fourth quarter which had both delta and omicron and we were profitable so i think it's an environment that we can manage Uh, i don't know that we'll be at peak earnings potential uh, or peak potential but uh but nonetheless, uh, we'll be out of harm's way, so to speak. We'll have to continue to work hard to keep our service levels very high uh, and keep our costs low.
4: All right, so Gary, you're obviously 18 years running it. You're serious, rigorous CEO. You're li- let's say you're listening to Jay Powell, who I regard as a serious, rigorous uh, chairman. And he reads through your release, and he listens to your call. And there's one line where you said, "We are experiencing higher unit cost inflation in 2022 as we continue to navigate the pandemic." Well, isn't that really the economy? I mean, if JPM reacts to the higher unit cost inflation, uh, and then Omicron and the pandemic goes the other way, won't he be caught raising rates into a period where perhaps we don't have as much inflation?
5: Well. You know what I learned back in school was inflation, in, in many ways, is uh, labor and wage rates, and uh, it is very difficult to hire people. And we just, uh, you know, shared in our release that we've moved our starting wage rates up to $17 an hour. Uh, that's up four or five dollars in a period of 24 months. So uh... inflation is there it's across the board uh, you see it as a consumer we see it as a business i think it's a huge problem i don't see i i would be very concerned about the word transitory i realize they're not using that anymore but um, i think that their concerns are valid and i think it's got to be addressed
0: wow.
2: gary uh, of course one of the tough lessons of the pandemic was uh... the air airline industry's model of capital return uh... and, and uh, uh, buybacks and how much of that was financed in the wake of obviously later on uh, government aid. Does that change for good?
5: Well, um, strategy no. Tactics, obviously. You know, you, you uh, return, uh, you have shareholder returns when the earnings support that. We always did. We never borrowed money to do a share repurchase ever. That, that's, uh, we, we've had very solid guidelines with our board for years on that. Uh, are over that. So uh, it's, this is not a time to be doing share repurchases. We're restricted from doing that under the CARES Act anyway, uh, but uh, at, at the appropriate time, if the conditions mirror what we've had in the past, obviously that would be a serious consideration. Dividends first, uh, and then share repurchases second.
4: I hate to be a downer here, but you do have some lines here, Gary, about economic fuel cost. I mean. Jet fuel is going through the roof. I mean, that's just one more problem right now, isn't it, Gary?
5: Well, that's why we hedge. Uh, and our hedge is is worth, I think it's over a billion dollars at this point. So we've got uh, over sixty percent coverage uh, here in twenty twenty two, and a roughly half of that, 35 percent coverage in twenty twenty three. Uh, we're we're more or less in line with pre pandemic uh, fuel prices. So they're higher than they were a year ago, but arguably a year ago was pretty depressed. So, uh, it, you're right, it's a, it's a risk. It is something that we have to manage. We have for 50 years. Um, we're good at this and we'll continue to, to manage our fuel costs. The other thing, of course, we do is we continue to modernize our fleet. The 737-8 has a 15 percent lower fuel burn uh, than its predecessor. So. Uh, that's our future, and uh, through a number of uh, uh, mechanisms, uh, I think that we'll do a superior job of managing our fuel compared to uh, the competition.
4: And uh, one last line that that well, I felt was a, a bit worrisome. You say we are working urgently to return to historic productivity levels by the end of twenty twenty three. Why put it out so long? This is Southwest Air. That surprises me.
5: Well it's it's what you mentioned earlier Uh, omicron is horribly inefficient for us Uh, it creates massive absenteeism Uh, it causes us to reduce our flights which is inefficient in terms of our asset utilization so i think a fair answer to your question is you know tell me when the pandemic is over and when conditions are more normal and then we can plan to that. Right now, it's hard to forecast, it's hard to plan, it's hard to execute, because of the roller coaster ride that we're on. And we're just anticipating that that's going to take a while to work its way through, uh, first of all, the country, and then we'll just have to continue to make adjustments within the company. Part of the answer there is just continuing to hire, uh, manage our attrition, uh, and just make sure that uh, uh, we've got our assets and our employees uh, working at uh, uh, maximum efficiency.
4: Well, Gary, I want to thank you for all your shareholders, for your 18-year tenure. Obviously, you've made a lot more money than almost everybody else. No, actually, more money than all the other airlines. You didn't lose money. And uh, well, we I'm going to say we won't miss you, though, because you remain as executive chairman. We hope to see you again, Gary.
5: I'll be around, and it's been a pleasure working with you. I think my first time on cnbc was probably about 25 years ago so there are very few quarters i've missed wow. so i'm going to miss you guys too
4: oh well maybe we'll see it when we fly on southwest air thank you go. guys see you soon i
2: really do mean that
5: carl thanks. i'll be looking uh, for Gary, you
2: thanks <laughs> thank y'all speaking speaking of airlines i want to mention tomorrow we'll be joined by JetBlue's robin hayes after reporting a narrower than expected loss stock is moving higher this morning post results at as we go to break, take a look at the bond report. Um, got some curve flattening going on. Obviously, a lot of reaction to what uh, J.P. Morgan called the ha- most hawkish presser Powell has given. Oh, really? Yesterday, at uh, 4416, though, on the S&P, that's above yesterday's open of 4408. We'll be right back. This is getting interesting. Dow's up 550 here. Uh, S&P futures up three percent from the early morning lows as we're getting close to 44.25. We're going to watch all of this (laughs) as as we continue to process everything we got yesterday and this morning and tonight with Apple. Stop Trading with Jim's coming up next. Let's get to Jim and stop trading.
4: You'll see Boeing moving up smartly. Why? Because they've sold some freighters to Taiwan. They've got wide-body freighter. The market is very hot. And yes, China Eastern, customer in China mainland, bought a freighter. These are not discounted. They're full boat. Maybe this is the beginning with a China order, as, he, as Dave Calhoun predicted. So I like that. And uh, I think it's important to recognize it isn't over for Boeing.
2: Uh, it's about a billion and a half uh, list price. Big. Told.
4: And if the freighter market's good, remember, we do have this have this port jam up. You want to solve it? Buy freighters.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, Calhoun even talked about uh, freight volume yes. as, as, a, as a measure of traffic.
4: I think this could be the beginning of you get a China order. Why should there be just one? I mean, people were thinking that the China orders are not going to happen because of the Cold War. No, you need Boeing. You need freighters. You have to go to Boeing. All right. What about this morning's action at the open? What are you making of this? Well, look, I think that what we're we're kind of doing a redo, Um, the machine gun sellers came in right about the time when Steve Leisman said, hey, listen, the world's ending. And I think they're realizing that, well, you know, the world's not ending. I mean, I don't know. People are thinking about football again. I just think that it was overdone. Yeah. Uh, Not unlike Comcast. Not unlike McDonald's, where people have had minutes to spare. And all I can say, Carl, is, is that if you're in that really high multiple stock, that's what you have to sell right now into the strength. You're getting an opportunity.
1: Please take it. <laughs> take it what? Take it to sell. Yes. Those high multiple names. Yes. You know, I'm looking wrong. at a name like DoorDash, which, may, you know, is was, Tony. was an example of a well-run company, I think you would say, that has done succeeded in many ways. It had an incredible IPO that's trading well below its first day of trading. Well below. Because of its high multiple. What do you
4: do with names like that? Well, it's high multiple there. No, I mean, until it makes money. And I really like Tony's Tony's shoe very much. Shoe is really about as good as it gets, but a lot of restaurants have gone under. Yeah. And uh, that's the mainstay of his business. I just think that you don't... Look, I like Tony's shoe. He'll come back. But that's not the kind of stock that you need to own. Uh, I mean, I like Chevron.
2: Some of the inflation metrics uh, McDonald's is talking about today. Paper costs doubling in the first half of this year. Yeah, so why, be in, the,
4: why be in the stocks? Now, some people look for being conservative. I think, I think MasterCard's being way too conservative, and that it should be a buy. Yeah. Okay, so tonight I've got two of my favorites. i got McCormick, the spice company. Fantastic numbers. And then I've got Nucor, where they actually said things are quite good. And Nucor, Leon, all the other steel companies lowered badly. He's fine. Uh, these would be very interesting calls. Lawrence, obviously, Spice does well if you think they were going into recession, like a lot of people felt like yesterday in that Hollywood Squares that Pal does. Jay's got to stop that. Just <laughs> pick the best five. That's what you know. he said, okay, here's the five best questions. Right. <laughs> Jay, come on, man. It, You're the best. It does best. go
2: on a while, that's for sure. Jim, we'll see you tonight. Mad Money, of course, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street.